Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Abraham Reisman uh, grew up in Oak Park, Illinois, not too far away from where I grew up. It is such a pleasure to have you on tonight, and thank you so much for giving us this time on such short notice. Oh, it, it, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much. And yes, I, I, you're from, you're from Wilmette, if I recall correctly. Yes? Yeah. Uh, I, grew, I was born in Wilmette, grew up in Winnetka, had lots of friends in Oak Park. It's a great place to grow up. I hope you had as wonderful experience in the greater Chicagoland area as I did. I did my best. Um, <laughs> thank you for having me. So you may be wondering why you're here. Um, I'm a big Stan Lee fan. I don't know how your book escaped uh, being on my nightstand because this is the kind of biography that I love. These deep dives, you have great reviews for this book and wonderful people endorsing it on the back in those blurbs. We're talking about um, your uh, a book which I think a lot of people have sort of would have, I mean, the idea that somehow uh, Stan Lee, the guy we know so well or think we know, uh, is I think it's fair to say he was overcredited for what he did for Marvel Comics, but the book is called True Believer, The Rise and Fall of Stan Lee. Been out less than a year. Um, and I heard about it because my, my younger son is in a book club with a, a guy named uh, Danny who's in Phoenix who contacted you because he was going to use you as a source on a paper. And so they were talking about you in this book club just the other night. And my son said, Dad, you got to find out more about this. And he texted me and I'm like, OK, right away. So that's why you're here. That's so funny. I'm, <laughs> I, I thought that that, you know, this, the person you mentioned contacted and said they were writing a paper, you know, for school and wanted right. to interview me about the book. And, you know, part of you think, so oh, well, you know, that's small potatoes but of course for me i'm i'm such a you know i i just like the attention so i'll talk to anybody <laughs> and um but also you know i remember being uh studying things and wishing right. to, talk to the author and learn more about what you know where there were gaps in there so uh you know we had this long conversation and afterward i was like well you know even if that just turns into like one footnote in a school paper that i never see <laughs> i still uh, have felt good about it but i guess it turned into something even bigger so it i'm did. glad it happened it did, and your generosity landed you on Coast to Coast. So I hope we sell a few copies of this book. Uh, and for people who got uh, gift cards or something like that for Amazon for, you know, the holidays, heck, this is, you could do worse. This is cool. So a true believer of the rise and fall of Stan Lee, the, the stories about the friction between Stan Lee and Jack Kirby are well known because they were public lawsuits um, and we've you know you can, it's easy enough to follow how other people felt about Stan Lee but Stan Lee himself I think is a little more enigmatic is that what you found sure well the the line I always said while I was working on the book uh was you know everybody knows Stan Lee but nobody knows Stan Lee right, right. You know, this is a figure who, as a as a piece of intellectual property, like literally as a piece of copyright intellectual property, the face of Stan Lee, the name of Stan Lee, are things that are known globally. I mean, billions of people. Right. I mean, that's not just me ex coming up with a random number. Not at all. People have been exposed 
to, even if they don't know his name, they've seen the movies and they see the cameos where he shows up. Um, so you think you have this intimacy with Stan Lee, therefore. But what it turned out to be was uh, a story of a guy who created a character called Stan Lee, but um, in some ways became that character. But at the same time, that character was not the full story. There was a no. lot there that people hadn't really dug into. Um, and so as a journalist, it was it was a really interesting process to kind of talk to people who sometimes it was even just collating things that were already out there that people just hadn't put into the exact shape they needed to be. Um, you know, all of this was there. As you say, the, the dispute between Stanley and Jack Kirby was not, you know, total news. And for your listeners who aren't fully familiar with all that, basically Stanley was the writer, and, or sorry, was the editor and um, co-writer of uh, the Marvel co- of many of the Marvel comics that came out in the 1960s, um, and Jack Kirby uh, was the writer slash artist um, who he most most famously collaborated with in that period. Um, they co-created, or uh, it gets very dicey when you start saying who right. created or co-created, whatever, but. Under their names, under the Stanley and Jack Kirby names, you had comics such as the Fantastic Four and the X-Men and the Avengers and Black Panther, all of that stuff. Um, you know, all of these characters started to roll out in this period. Um, and uh, the dispute that happens to this day is, well, who created what? Who got too much credit? Who got too little credit? And what was interesting for me as a journalist was finding how much of this stuff had just been sitting there. Right. You know, I mean, I don't want to sound like I was lazy. I no. Put in some back at some sweat equity. But there was a lot of it where it was you just go, well, why are people I mean, this is right. not going to be this is the kind of thing you think about all the time. You go, this has been sitting here in the open. Why has nobody been talking about it? This is true about so many topics, but with Stan, it was it was just another one of those examples where well, there's a myth, there's a set of myths about him, and people are very invested in them. Well, I, I tell my students all the time about that concept of low hanging journalistic fruit. That yeah. it, 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 you, you, it's good to know how to do data driven journalism. It, it's important to know how to drill down into you know, city statistics and all of that, right. you know, that that's good. But it, it it's amazing what you can find if you actually just sort of get off the internet and you start yep. making some calls. And I think that oh. there's this presumption that somehow everything that's worth knowing has already been posted online. And that's just all derivative stuff. And what you're finding, and I, at least what I'm believing I understand, is that while this was just sort of lying on the ground waiting for you to come by and pick it up, um, this was some of the most precious data about Stan Lee. He wasn't necessarily trying to hide it, um, but he also wasn't out there promoting this. Right. Cre- right. right? They're, they're all. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. You got it. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, the the low hanging fruit was. You know, there there are big questions that are kind of unanswerable because the data just was not really recorded, most notably being who was the initial person to create the characters. Now, there are a lot of ways we can sort of try and reconstruct who might have done that. We'll get to that in a second. But one thing that is low-hanging fruit is Stan was over-credited, was miscredited, and Jack Kirby and other collaborators of his were under 
missed. They were undercredited um, because the way that these comics were being created was through something that is very idiosyncratic and now known as the Marvel method. Now, this did not have a name back when it was being done in the 60s. That's what we call it now. But the Marvel method was very loosely, um, you would have a conversation of some kind between the writer and the artist, or really it's, God, you start talking about these things, and you fall into the morass, you know, it's all right. these little details. A little but titles. Matter. But the details matter. The point was, you would not really have a script. There would not be a, a case, it, would not, it was not a case of a writer sitting down, typing out a script and saying, okay, in panel one, I want the artist to draw this, and this is what the dialogue will be. And then panel two, da da That was not it. Stan would have a conversation with whoever was drawing the issue that week, or that month, rather. And um, from that conversation, which could be very mysterious and was not recorded, whatever, then the artist would go home as a freelancer and write the comic, except not with words. They would write it with drawings. They would draw out the full comic um, based on whatever came out of that conversation. The conversation very often was very brief. This is by Stan's own admission. Again, this is low-hanging fruit. This is out there. Stan would say, sometimes the littlest idea that I will come in with will be like, hey, Jack, we should have Dr. Doom come back in the next issue, and then Jack will run with it. And then, you know, there are interviews in the 60s before all this stuff mattered where Stan actually says, you know, and sometimes Jack will even tell me what's going to be in the issue. But the point is, that was never how it was credited. It was all, I mean, there were times sometimes when it was credited as, like, ambiguously, like, this is by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, and it didn't tell you who was doing what. But more often, you would have, you know, written by Stan Lee, drawn by Jack Kirby, when what was going on was Stan and Jack would have some kind of conversation, which may well have been Jack just dictating what he was going to do and Stan saying, okay, Jack went home and wrote the comic. He would draw in little, he would also write in little margin notes saying, you know, I think the dialogue here should maybe be like this, or this is explaining what's happening in this picture. He'd give those pages to Stan, and then Stan would read that and add in the dialogue and the narration. So the actual specific words were Stan. So he's definitely a co-writer on these comics. That's indisputable. But he's not the sole writer, and he's not no. the first writer. He's not the person coming up with the plot and the structure and the reveal and the character development and all of that stuff. That was that was whoever was drawing, and most you know more often than most other people, that was Jack Kirby. So that overcrediting is the beginning. And once you start pulling at that thread... That's when you start finding out that, well, there's the possibility that this entire enterprise was built on a lie, you know, well, that put was a, built on the myth of this one singular creator who had the first ideas, knew the first principles, and then dictated them to others to just execute. That was the myth that Marvel perpetuated in so many words for decades and still kind of does right. to a certain extent. Oh, I think it. I think it actively does. I think it actively does, and I think in an odd sort of way. I mean, because Marvel took control of the narrative of their movies away from licensing it to others to make, and that would have been a chance to correct it. 
that would have been a chance to say, okay, this is how it was shorthanded by others who aren't in the know. But instead, they continued to perpetuate this idea. And I think the key part is when you said creator, because if you ask the average person about Stan Lee, they'll say he created, and then they'll go through the long list of the things which he so-called created, but he didn't. He was there as they were being created. He was part of a conversation about its creation, but he was not, he didn't walk in one day and go, I have an idea. There's four people, you know, I mean, and that's where the fact that he was willing to accept the lie, that he was willing to stand by the lie. That's the part that's, I think, self-indicting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because, when it comes to that, you say he didn't come in and say, I want to do a story about four people, referring to the Fantastic Four. It's possible he did have the initial notion of saying, what if we had a story about four people who did X, Y, and Z? That's possible. But what's not possible is saying he was the sole creator. Because Stan couldn't right. draw. At the very least, at the very least, no matter what you believe about how much Stan came up with in terms of the ideas for these characters and the situations, Stan was not the artist. And these are it's comic books. It's a visual medium. It completely short changes the entire concept of the comics medium. If you say the writer is the, you know, the only important question is like who comes up with the name of the character and right, what right. superpowers are. I mean, can you imagine the thing without the visuals? No, of course not. It's 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 as important, if not more so, especially for back then when the readers of comic books were actual, I mean, when superhero comics, that is, were young people. You know, now superhero comics are largely read by old fogies like myself. Right. But back then, you had to have stuff that was very visually, storytelling that was extremely visual. And, And those characters, even just in their initial designs, are all extremely visual. So the point is, when you perpetuate the myth that the primary creator, and then, you know, even if you, through a sin of omission, the sole creator, by not right. mentioning the other creator, right. is Stan Lee. Once you perpetuate that myth, you're really, it's, 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 it's just wrong. It's not, it's not accurate. It's, it's well, inaccurate as a description. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.